So as I said earlier, um, this is my first time to speak in church, which is very nerve-wracking, um, especially when the Bible says that he's going to hold us to a higher uh, standard when we get up and, and, and preach. So uh, it's uh, very nerve-wracking. So anyway, hopefully I do good on my first day. So about three months ago, um, my family, who's sitting right here, we were over at Brian and Lori's for dinner, spaghetti dinner. And after dinner was over, Brian said, hey, I'm going to Hawaii for two weeks. Would you mind speaking? And I said, well, sure. Um, sure, I'll speak. Um, I'm not a very good public speaker, but I've been in front of people a bunch, and I love Jesus, and what do you want me to talk about? And he said, listening to the voice of God. So um, Brian and I, when we moved here a year and a half ago, Brian and I have spent a decent amount of time together, and it's one of the subjects that we, we the two of us, have talked about a bunch, uh, is just listening when God tells us to do something and listening to it and then obviously obeying it. So um, hopefully I'll do a good job of explaining uh, what's happened in in my life and what the Lord's taught me the last year and a half. So uh, there are some background. First of all, let me, I'm going to read a verse to kind of set the tone today. Uh, It's out of Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven through thirteen. Um, before I get into the listen to the voice of God, there's there's four points I wanted to make uh, that are kind of background truths that I think you need to understand before um, we get into the to, to the main point. Um, the, the first one is, uh, the God we serve is all-knowing, all-powerful. He's sovereign and He loves His children. Uh, the reason why this is so important is you have to understand the God that we serve and how amazing He is and nothing, uh, there's nothing out of His reach, nothing He can't do. And it's important to understand that, um, to, to understand when He tells you something, you may not understand it, but He knows everything. Um, and about six weeks ago, I was hiking up to, to Lava Lake, and I was praying, and I was saying, Lord, what do you want me to say? And this was the first point. I'd already come to the point that I needed to say this. And I said, well, Lord, what verses should I use? And I was thinking verses, because there's four points there. And he, he said Romans 8.28. And I, I was thinking, That's, that doesn't fit. Um, and he said, no, think about it. And so... Um, <laughs> Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So as I thought about this, the first part of this verse encompasses all four of those traits of God. There's no way that God can say all things. He didn't say some things. He didn't say a little bit. He said all things uh, work, work for good for those that love him. And for him to say that, he can't be sitting up in heaven and something bad happened to me. And he go, gosh, I didn't see that coming. What the heck am I going to do now? So he has to know everything. He has to be all powerful. He has to be in control. And on the other part of it, he has to love us. Um, and so as I thought through that verse, it started to really make sense to me. And I'd never thought of it that way. Uh, and I was going to tell a story um, to kind of illustrate this. So uh, Saturdays, our family, 
our number one thing we do on Saturdays is we ski together. It's fun. We live in a, a great place. So on the, in the winters, on Saturday, we go skiing. So yesterday morning, we got up, normal day. Kids slept in. When everybody got up, we started getting ready. Well, one of Sarah's friends is in town, and she called us, and she said, Hey, do you guys want to ski at Yellowstone Club today? And we're like, of course, of course we want to go ski at Yellowstone Club. You never turn down a day to go ski at Yellowstone Club. So we have a, a locker up at Moonlight, so we went up to Moonlight, got all our stuff on. We made our way over to Yellowstone Club, and we were supposed to meet them at the Sugar Shack, which is at the bottom of the, uh, the lake lift. And so typically when we're skiing together, I get there first, and then Sarah, and then Ella. Well, we got down to the Sugar Shack, and Abby and Brooke didn't come. And I was like, eh, it's kind of odd. Abby must have wrecked. She probably can't get her skis on. So we sat there for about five minutes, and all of a sudden, Abby shows up, comes skiing down the mountain. And I said, "Uh uh-oh, Abby's always last. So if Abby's coming down fourth, something's wrong. So she comes skiing up, and she says, hey, Brooke fell and broke her collarbone. Um, And so... Sarah's friend was there at the Sugar Shack. We left Abby and Ella with her friend. We jumped on the lift, Sarah and I did, and we started heading up the lift. I kind of knew where she, I think she was. She called Brooke. She talked to Brooke. Brooke explained it to her. Sounded like a broken collarbone. So we got off the lift. I hauled off the lift and went to go find her. Sarah went to go get the ski patrol. And I got to Brooke um, first, and it was probably five minutes before the ski patrol showed up. And so I started checking around and and sure sounded like a broken collarbone. I've had two of them. And so all the the symptoms sounded like a broken collarbone. So my first thought was, gosh, I feel horrible for my daughter because I've had two of them and sleeping is awful. Um, And so that was my first thought. My second thought was curiosity. Um, And that sounds like a weird thing. It wasn't anger. It wasn't frustration. It wasn't dang it, we just run the day of skiing at Yellowstone Club, we're going we're gonna to go to the hospital. It was curiosity, and the reason why it was curiosity was this verse right here. Um, and so if you think about it, God knew Brooke was going to fall yesterday and break her collarbone. He didn't cause it to happen. God's not evil. He can't do evil. He's only good. So when Adam and Eve sinned, that's when, when bad things came into this world. It wasn't intended to be that way. So pain and suffering, uh, loss, death, all of that came into to, to play when, when Adam and Eve sinned. And so God didn't cause her to fall and break her collarbone. But he's all-powerful. So he could have he stopped it. He could have made it so she didn't fall yesterday and break her collarbone. And so if you really think through this verse... That's why I was curious, because then I was like, okay, well, it can't be those first three things, so something good is going to come from this. And I don't know what it is, but something will happen good in Brooke's life and our family's life because of that. What? Sorry, I'm a little choked up. Um, sorry. Um, what happened yesterday um, illustrated this verse to me because... God is completely in control, and he allowed that. to. He didn't make it happen. He allowed that to happen yesterday. And I don't know if it was to tell the story today or what, what it was, but, but some, something really good will come out of it. Um, the other part of this, um, uh, next, sorry. There's two conditions in this verse, okay? So it's not just the part at the beginning. There's two conditions. You have to love God, and you have to be called according to his purpose. So this verse does not apply to all of humanity. 
it only applies to people that love God and are called according to his purpose. So I don't know about you guys. I want this verse to apply to me because in the end, I want all things to work for good. So how do we guarantee ourselves um, that we love God and we're we're called according to his purpose? The answer is Jesus. So this is the next um, background uh, truth. So Jesus is the greatest thing to ever happen to the world. And he's the only solution to the human condition. So if we love Jesus and we've made him Lord of our lives, then we are sons and daughters. So the, the verse I picked here was uh, 2 Corinthians, and it says, I will be a father to you, you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Um, and if you really think through this, this is a pretty stunning statement. For the God of the universe to say that we can be sons and daughters is, is crazy. Um, and it, it's, it's amazing to me. And so I know that Brooke loves Jesus and our family loves Jesus, so therefore I know that we love him, we're called according to his purpose, and all this is going to end up for being good because we're sons and daughters. Um, and Jesus, uh, my last point on that one is, is Jesus is the only way to the Father and the only guarantee to all the promises God has. So that promise at the beginning of that verse of all things be, uh, working out for good. Um, next one, the Bible. The Bible is the greatest book ever written, uh, and it's really the story of Jesus, uh, who is the greatest person to ever live. Um, The Bible tells the story of Jesus. Every story in the Old Testament, to the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus, to Revelations, when he comes back and makes all things new, the Bible is really the story of Jesus. Um, And so the Bible doesn't tell my story. And it doesn't tell any of your stories. None of us, none of us are mentioned in the Bible. Um, so, but the Bible does give us incredible advice on how to live our lives. But it doesn't help us with all these moral, what I call morally neutral decisions we're faced with every day. Um, for example, where should I go to school? What should I major in? Where should I, what should my career be? Who, uh, should I quit my job? What city should I live in? None of those things are covered in the Bible. But they're all important to every one of us. I know I've laid awake many, many nights stressing about these exact topics. And I've wished that they were in the Bible, but they weren't, they're not there to give me advice. Um, should I quit my, which is a story I'm going to tell at the end. Should I quit my job? I've, I've fretted over that for months. Um, and I wish there was this thing in there that said, Todd, you should quit your, quit your job at this date. But, but there wasn't. Um, so the last thing is, is God cares about our story. So uh, Proverbs 16.9 says, In the heart of a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So God directs our story. So the God that we serve cares about every one of our stories. He cares about mine. He cares about all, all of yours. So how, how the heck do we know what we're supposed to do with all these situations that all of us are faced with um, every day and we're trying to, trying to live our lives? Um, so the question is, if we are Christians and God is in control of everything, how do we know what God's will is for our life? Um, and the answer to that is the Holy Spirit. Uh, when Jesus went back to heaven, uh, God provided the Holy Spirit to guide us on our journey. Um, and so the verse I picked here was John sixteen seven, which says, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus even called the Holy Spirit a counselor. And by definition, a counselor is somebody that gives us, gives us advice, helps us when we're in trouble, helps us when we don't know our way. Um, and so God, Jesus provided the answer for us. Um, so a couple observations uh, in my own life that I've had is 
the closer you are to God, the more you'll hear from him. And I think that's true of every relationship. Um, so if I, if I spend a ton of time with Sarah, I'm going to know what she likes, what she dislikes, what, she's, what her, her worries are, what her goals and aspirations are like. But if I don't spend any time with her, I'm not going to know that. Um, and, and another point to this is, is it's not enough to know about God. You have to know him personally. So knowing a verse or knowing Bible stories doesn't get you to where you need to go. You need to know, you need to have a personal relationship with him. And in a lot of ways, it's not really different than the, all the relationships we have here on earth. Of course, there are some differences, but the only way we know each other is spend time together. And the only way you're going to know, know God is to spend time with him. Um, and so this is my big question. My thought for the day is this. What stirs your affections for God? What makes you want to be with him? What makes you love him more? Um, And my experience is when I'm doing what makes me closer to God, that is when I hear his voice most often. Um, And I listed everybody's going to be different. There is no one answer to this. Um, So everyone has to find what it is that stirs your stirs your affections for God. Uh, I listed some of mine, uh, listening to music, reading the Bible, uh, reading a great Christian book, praying. Uh, Young Life Camp, uh, which is an interesting one for me. I have some of my most special times with the Lord uh, at Young Life Camp, both as a kid and as an adult. We've been as a family twice. We're going again this summer. We're looking forward to that. Um, Matt Chandler. The Lord introduced us to Matt Chandler, Sarah and I, about a year and a half ago. And uh, we have probably listened to 200 of his sermons. And he has opened our eyes to a lot of things. And we both... Definitely love the Lord um, more listening to the Matt Chandler sermons. So that's one I highly recommend. Uh, the last two there, working out and being in God's creation. Um, I don't know why, but for some reason, uh, God has spoken to me more on a mountain bike in the woods um, than almost any other thing in my life. And I don't know why. But I have made massive decisions in my life because of what God's told me to do while I'm on a mountain bike in the woods. Uh, probably second to that would be hiking in the woods. And that happened in Charlotte, too. But we probably live in the greatest place in the world um, if that's where the Lord speaks to you. And that's, that's probably my favorite. And so I try to spend um, at least one or two days a week just out in the woods praying and talking to the Lord by myself. No cell phone. Um, you know, no distractions. And that, that has been a, a great gift for me. And living in Big Sky has made that even better because of what we have around us with the skiing and the mountain biking and the, and the hiking trails. Um, the next thing I was going to do was, was uh, tell two stories to kind of try to pull all this together. Um, I quit my job in December of 2015. Um, I, when I graduated college, uh, I, went, I had an opportunity to go to a NASCAR team in Charlotte, North Carolina. So that was my first job. It's been my only job, real job. Uh, and I went there, and I worked there for 24 years. Um, when I walked in there, I knew nothing about racing. I'd never watched a race. I'd never seen a race. But I loved cars. I loved people. I loved competition. And I loved engineering. And I didn't know any better, but when I got there, I realized this is what I was meant for. Uh, God created me to do that job. I fell in love with it. Uh, It was not a job. It was a passion. I worked 
80, 90, 100 hours a week and loved every minute of it. Um, poured myself into it, decided I was going to be the best there was at the sport. And by the time uh, I was done, I was running the whole operation at the company I worked for. And when we started, we had 12 employees the first year when I left. We had 550, uh, and it was pure chaos. Um, and so basically what happened was uh, summer of 15, we went to – the way the season works is it's 10 months long, starts the weekend after the Super Bowl, goes all the way to Thanksgiving. There's basically two off weekends, and you work seven days a week all the rest of the time. Um, so it's fun, but it is a lot of work. And so in June, there's an off weekend, and we took the week off, obviously. And from that point on, there's no days off pretty much till Thanksgiving. So you'll go, I don't know, four or five months without a day off after that point. So it's a big deal to go do something with your family. So we decided to go to Trail West, uh, which is a Young Life camp in, in Colorado. And there was a ton going on at work. I was completely stressed out. And... For whatever, and it's, I don't know how to describe this other than the whole week I was there, I wrestled with the Holy Spirit about my job. And at the end of the week, I remember we were driving back to the airport, uh, to Denver Airport to fly back to Charlotte, and Abby was in the back seat. And she said, Dad, that was the best week of my life. And I looked over at Sarah and said, That was the worst week of my life. Um, I didn't sleep. I was completely stressed out. And I looked at her and I said, The Lord's told me to quit my job. And she said, tomorrow? Um, and I said, I don't know. So typical, I get into work Monday morning, chaos starts. I kind of put it on the back burner. I'm busy. I'm running around. I'm doing stuff, but it was kind of always there in the background. And towards the end of July, I came to Sarah and I said, I think the Lord wants me to quit my job, but I'm so busy. I'm so stressed out. I'm, I've got so much on my plate. I can't think about it. Let's go to Montana for a week, and I need to just spend a week and try to discern, is this what the Lord's telling me? So I went into all the managers at our company, and I said, hey, guys, I'm sorry. Timing's bad. We're getting ready to go into the playoffs. I've got to take a week off. I've got some personal problems I've got to go figure out. And I didn't tell anyone what it was. We flew out here to Montana in August, um, and every day what I decided to do was every day I was here, which was seven days, I was going to pick a hike by myself, and I was going to go out and pray and read and search and read the Bible and just say, Lord, what is it? What does he want me to do? Well, so we were here seven days. The sixth day, I decided to go up to uh, Beehive. So I hiked up to Beehive. I'm sitting up on the cliff that overlooks the pond. If you guys have been up there, it's amazing. And I'm reading James uh, out of the Bible. And the Lord said to me, quit your job. I got you. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Makes me tear up when I think about it. Um, so when we left Montana in August, I had my marching orders, which was quit my job. And it was at the end of the season. So the season obviously ends at Thanksgiving. So the crazy thing was from the time God told me at Young Life Camp in, in June, that's halfway through the season. We won 13 to the next 18 races, won the championship and just crushed everybody. And then... We celebrate the championship in Las Vegas the first week in December. Sarah and I go out there. The whole team's there. There's seven, 800 of us there in Vegas. We, we have this huge party. We celebrate, win the championship, get home Monday morning. I quit my job. Um, hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, I loved what I did, but the Lord's called me to something different. Um, second story. 
And this follows on to that one. So that was in December when I quit. Uh, my last day of work was actually in February of 16, mid-February. Um, in April of 16, I was out for a mountain bike ride. Now I had all this free time on my hands because I wasn't working. I was like, well, I'm going to mountain bike two or three hours a day every day. Um, and so I was out mountain biking, and I was praying. I was talking to the Lord, and the Lord said, sell your house and move to Montana. So I got home. Kids were at school. Sarah was in the kitchen, and I walked in, and I said, uh, Lord said, sell our house and move to Montana. And uh, she said, I don't know about that. Um, and to, to put that in perspective, the house we lived in was not a house. It was our home. Uh, we built it. Sarah and I designed it. We lived there for 16 years. All three of our kids were born while we lived there. That was home. It was not a house. And so what I was asking her to do or what the God was asking me to do and I was asking her to do, that was a big deal. I was gone all the time. I worked crazy hours. But that was my four girls. That was their sanctuary. That was their place. And so that was no small thing that, that I was asking her to do. And so basically she said, I don't know about that. So about a month later, a bunch of stuff happened, all of it negative. In May, Sarah came to me and said, I think you're right. I think we need to sell the house and move to Montana. So through a bunch of circumstances, the Lord changed her mind. So we uh, started getting the house ready because we lived there for 16 years. We started getting the house ready. We were we drove out of the driveway June 28th. And I'd prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, if this is really what you want us to do, please make it clear to me. So we drove out. I was in a small U-Haul. We left the house furnished. We left most of our stuff there. We brought some clothes and bikes and toys. And I drove a U-Haul. Sarah and the girls drove in her car. And we drove out on a Friday. It was June 28th. Our house went on the market the next morning, Saturday morning. The first family that came and looked at it fell in love with it. We, we, again, it's easy to sell a house if you sell it cheap. I put it 10% higher than any house that ever sold in our neighborhood. So I was like, hey, if we're going to do this, you know, make it clear, Lord, please. Um, and so we sold the house, first people that looked at it, and it was basically sold in three days. We weren't even to Montana yet because it took us four days to drive across the country. So the Lord answered and confirmed that what he told me on that mountain bike in April was sell your house and move to Montana. Now, I don't want to sugarcoat this. These two decisions were brutal. Um, to, to, to say it nicely, the day after I quit my job, all hell broke loose. And I'm not saying that it was awful. Our, our world got turned upside down. We got betrayed. We had people stabbing us in the back. We had people starting rumors about the two of us. It got really, really, really ugly to the point where uh, for the first time in my life, I was on my knees every day saying, Lord, what the heck? Uh, so I don't want you to think that when the Lord tells you to do something, it's going to be all peaches and cream. Um, so, so to this point in our lives, Sarah and I we're obviously here in Montana. We both have some pretty deep battle scars um, from some of the stuff that happened. Um, but here, here's the point I want to make at the end of this. Um, the greatest thing, uh, hopefully I won't tear up, the greatest thing in all this is this. The God of the universe who, who spoke into existence a hundred billion galaxies in an instant from nothing told me, who is a complete nobody, there's, there's, I'm, I'm a nobody sitting up atop a beehive. He said, I got you. And so if you're a child of God, if you're a son or a daughter, that goes for all of us. He's got you. 
And so I don't think I could have quit my job if he hadn't said that to me, if he hadn't said, I got you. Um, And so, and I've had to remind myself a thousand times in the last 18 months, two years of, I got you. And Sarah and I don't know what our next chapter is other than we're here and we're, we're, we're listening. We're waiting on God to tell us what's next. Um, but I wanted to kind of tell you those stories to kind of pull kind of all the stuff I'm talking about. And so, um, if the, if the worship team wants to come up in, in conclusion, uh, this is kind of to summarize it all. God has an amazing story for each one of us. But we have to know Jesus and we have to chase God with all of our heart to truly know our story. Um, So that's that's kind of the end of end of my deal. Um, Thank you.